Hello there and welcome to our latest edition of Live Music in Me, the music podcast where we get some of our friends to talk about their gig memories. Today's guest is the singer, songwriter, producer, lecturer and Mr. Pell Fisher himself, um, David Scott. And I hope you'll enjoy this one. All the best now. Davey, hi there. How are you doing, mate? All good. Nice to see you, Brian. And you, and you. Are you ready to have a go at Live Music in Me? I am. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. Good stuff. How's the old grey matter? Is it, is it? You know, it's it's, you know as, we, as we speak, it, it, it's just after uh, the Christmas New Year break and I've been back at work for a couple of days and I've got brain mush. I, I'm, I'm actually struggling to remember people's names. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that way you, you, you yeah. out of the kind of role of things. So, yeah. so I might be a wee bit kind of monosyllabic but i'll do my best we'll have a go we'll have a go okay but um so let's have a start then the first gig that you went to so in preparation for this i did a bit of thinking about this so so i've got a couple of sort of alleys to take you down here uh and it's a lot of people that'll come on your podcast they'll say things like you know the clash or, mm. or, or sex pistols or whatever right okay not cool enough right <laughs> okay. so, so i mean it, assuredly not cool enough. Right. Um, however, so I've got two things. And the other thing that I did was, you know, nowadays, you know, if you try to remember a gig that you went to, you can go and look at the set list, the various sites online. Yep. I was pretty convinced just even last night looking down that these, these sites are not necessarily complete because there's some things that I very much remember being to when I was a kid that, that just are not shown there. So most of the early gigs that I went to were terrible, all right? So okay. so I saw, I mean, and, and you know, one of those, I, I almost can't understand why I would go to these things, right? So so I saw Eric Clapton, uh, I think, in like 1980. I mean, I cannot stand his records, right? Okay, but I went to see him. Okay. Uh, he, I always remember it was, it was, it was terrible, right? <laughs> Just where, like where, where was that, David? I think it was the Odeon in Edinburgh, okay. around about 1980, something like that. I mean, about 16, something like that. Um, and it was, you know, it was playing blues, like really boring blues songs, right? And he had, next to him, he had a table and he had a pint of beer, right? right. And an ashtray. And he smoked fags all the way through. <laughs> after, you know, yeah. And then played a song. Yeah. And I hated it, right? So, so... But anyway, I, I, it was one of those things. I, can, I suppose somebody convinced me it was a cool thing to go and see, but it, it really wasn't. Uh, I also saw the shadows, believe it or not. Right? Pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> As I say, people come in here and say, "Oh, aye, aye." So, a public image limited on the first tour, the shadows. Uh, I'm not sure and, about that. They're pretty cool. The shadows. Well, it's funny because I was going to say that that I think I, I was taken to see it by friends, parents or something. I think it was the Usher Ball in Edinburgh. That's one that doesn't come up on the on these various kind of set list sites. Right. And I think I probably was just getting to that stage where I thought, God, that you know, this is just definitely not cool. So I sort of slightly held my nose all the way through it. And it was very British variety, so, mm. uh, light entertainment vibe. But see if I could put myself in a time machine and go back. I'd love mm. to see that show again sure. because... I think, you know, the more the years go on, the more they, their records seem like really amazing when you hear them. And and Hank Marvin himself, 
And Bruce Welsh is a kind of musician and as a, a as a producer and all that, sounds like really interesting people. And I was a wee bit snotty sitting there, kind of thing. Oh God, you know what I mean? But being brought by somebody's parents, which was such a lovely thing to do. Yeah. And I'm sitting there being a brat about it anyway. Um, but then probably the first big show that I saw that I, that I really wanted to go to and was amazing was Paul McCartney in 1979 at the Apollo. Ah, right. Okay. So that was the last Wings tour. And that sort of period of, of his work, mm-hmm. it's just a wee bit kind of underrated, I think, you know, that very towards the end of that. He was tuning yeah. an album called Back to the Egg. Back to the Egg, yeah. Which, right. which yeah. I think a lot of people kind of sort of thought wasn't very good, but it's actually very good. It's a great mm-hmm. record, right? Um, and the band was really good. I was 15, I think, and and I ju- it just was. It was Christmas. Uh, 1979 it was two nights at the Apollo we did mm-hmm. um, and one of the nights I'm not sure if it was the night that 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 I was there or or, or not is where they recorded the live version of Coming Up okay which became yeah, the yeah. live version a number one record in America that's right right so so there's a 50-50 chance that 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 was my first number one in America first and only number one in America uh, because we were we were there when when it took place, yeah. and it was it was a great show, and the, and he did he had another record out at the time called Good Night Tonight. Do you remember that record? Mm, I do, absolutely. But he, he should play in all of his live shows now, right? Yeah. If he did it, it would it would destroy audiences. It's such an amazing record, mm-hmm. and he did it with a little beatbox and all that. And it was it was just an amazing show. Um, so there was those. But what I was going to say. Probably for, for Are these me. all your first gigs, David? Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I know you can only have one first gig. I guess you can, yeah. <laughs> and I did say you'd be lucky to keep me at half an hour. What I was going to suggest in terms of stuff. first gigs, suppose, suppose what's interesting about first gigs is certainly as a musician, they can kind of quite form what you, what you do later on. Mm. And most of the, the, most, the most kind of formative first gigs for me. We're at Falkirk Folk Club and Stirling Folk Club when I was a kid. For my uncle Ian and Irene used to take me to the, the folk club. I used to get up and do a wee floor spot as well as a, as a young guy. Got and play a couple of songs. And you would just see every week these amazing performers that were on the circuit just going around and playing their songs. Mm-hmm. At that time, it would only be 10 or 12 years removed from the start of the sort of British folk revival with a big yeah. boom in folk clubs in the late 50s and through the 60s. People like Bert Jansh and all that. Sure. And I think that the the experience of seeing people, particularly singing and singing in harmony, uh, that became a, a really massive uh, influence on, on, on me in terms of the, the work I did, not not just in terms of making records, but nowadays when I, when I think about putting a show together, I'm always thinking about the vocals. So mm. so I think you come straight back to that. Yeah, okay. Perfect. That's good. That's I think that's four or five first gigs I've got there. Is that is that right? Excellent. Excellent. I'll take that. And a wee birdie told me that somewhere in that you were a bit of a girl school budgie <laughs> fan. Is that not right? Not a fan. Uh no. <laughs> were you watching were Guil- you guilty watching, pleasure? Were you watching the word? One year podcast. I never disclose my sources. <laughs> <laughs> we had a laugh about that. It's, it, 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 you know, not a fan, um, but it's true. We we had a school magazine, and I and I went right. and did uh, interviews a couple of times. And I I'll, I'll not repeat the story, but uh, 
but I remember Budgie, that's the thing that, that, that I remember about that is that, that they, they weren't that keen on doing a, a, an interview, except the bass player, <laughs> <laughs> who, who I'm guessing was never interviewed. He talked just for an hour and a half. <laughs> Tiffany Edinburgh. Very good. Excellent. Uh, okay. Uh, right. What about the last gig that you went to? The last gig I went to was Martin McAloon okay. at the Art Centre in Ah, Africa. right. Okay. And I was just so intrigued by this because, I mean, I never saw Prefab Sprout when uh, they were in their pomp. I was on the same label as them for a while uh, in the, the late 1980s. Paddy McAloon is, is like God to me. Right, so so he he to me is as good as the great folks. He's as good as McCartney and all those. But he's he's a genius okay. songwriter for me. Agreed. I, I love almost all of the Prefab Spout records, and of course Paddy doesn't or can't play live anymore. He's got some health issues, I think, that that make that difficult for him. Sure. Uh, but then his his brother went out and did these shows, and Martin was the bass player in Prefab's Fright, not necessarily the singer, certainly not the writer. No. But like so many people who are, who give so much of, of their life to one project, it, the guy is clearly still in love with that music and and and, and clearly it wanted to, to, to share that. So it was a better riot. Right. <laughs> Right, I mean, I loved it. I love him, and I loved it. He's an extraordinary, extraordinary guitar player. Okay, okay. quite funny though, because he had four, he had four electric guitars, different electric guitars lined up behind them, all of which sounded exactly the same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was so odd. Um, yeah. And his method of doing the set list, because he came on at the start and he said, hey, "I've learned about sixty songs." You think what? Right. <laughs> and he had this. I mean, and I speak as somebody who sweats over every inch of a set list, right? Okay, I never used to, but now it's like, okay, set list has a is, is a work of art, right? Yep. Uh, his method for the set list was he had a, a folder <laughs> with plastic leaflets, right? And he can he would finish one song, and he would look over, and he would go down the list, and he'd say, "Oh, I'll do that one now," you know, and he would play "When Love Breaks Down," yeah, whatever, right? And that was his way, and people were shouting out pretty obscure yeah. B-Fabs for B-Sides, and he said, oh, I learned that one, and he, and he played it. Yeah. And uh, an artist who, who who has not spent his whole life playing and singing as a front man in a band, mm. so so there was something really, really pretty ragged and, and falling apart about it at times. Mm. And when you Juxtapose that with how beautiful, polished gems these songs are. Hmm. It's a really brilliant story there, right? And I think some people in the audience were kind of like, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and others, me, were at times in tears. Yeah. Because it, it was so beautiful. And, yeah. and and as he got, as he warmed up, he's singing, you know. And I see actually just seeing from the, from the, 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 the list the shows that that as he went on he was selling out all these shows mm. and I hope yeah I mean I hope it's something he continues to do that that's an important music legacy I think the, the work of Prefabs for it I'd like to see more people kind of uh, get it anyway there you go that was the last gig yeah and and thanks for that because I saw that advertised and I also hesitated about 
whether Maguire never saw pre-fast, but I either saw if he does come back, I'd be minded to go and see him now. So because it's, it's close, a story, it's it's a story get, isn't it? I think yeah. Ah, uh-huh. and it's a, and it's a, and and <clears throat> it's like often when you see Brian Wilson playing live, you know, to a certain extent, you have to you have to buy the story as well yeah, sure. because he's he's not he's not David Bowie. He's not you know he's not going to. You know he's not going to sell that as a big show guy, but you got to, you got to know some about the story and understand what the music means. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Okay, good stuff. What about a bucket gig in the past that you wish you'd been at? Well, I've only got four. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, so <laughs> I do have a few. I do have a few. Right? Go on then. I had the. I, I was in London. I can't remember when it was. I'm going to say late. 80s, 89, 1991, something like that. Whatever it was, I was doing. Um, and I was aware that Laura Nairo was playing at okay. the Union Chapel. And she's a really important artist to me. I should say Le- Nero, actually. That's how you're meant to say the name. But I, okay. I just know it's Laura Nairo. It sounds so beautiful as well, Laura Nairo. Um, anyway, but by the by. But I didn't go. And I saw a review of it later on in, it was Mojo or, or, or Word or whatever the magazine was at the time. And it was Laura with her, her uh, five or six backing singers in the Union Chapel. And Ricky Ross and I had played in the Union Chapel a couple of times. And it's an amazing show to, to, to do. It's like a beautiful, and I just really, I kick myself for not seeing that. I think that would have yeah. been a special one. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would love to see the Kate Bush uh, before the Dawn shows. Uh, mm, they were gone too. before, uh, yeah, practically gone before I knew <sighs> happening. But here's one for you, right? And this is this is one that I, that I go towards, and I would be surprised if Douglas Stewart didn't agree with this. The more I go on, the more I think my favorite Beatles album is the first Beatles album, Please Please Me. Right? Okay. Um, and John Lennon used to talk about how great they were. And he used to say, what we created was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, he wasn't talking about Revolver. He wasn't talking about Sergeant Pepper. He wasn't talking about putting a sitar on Norwegian wood, right? He was talking about Hamburg. He was talking about early days in Liverpool and what they were able to create in front of an audience. And there's a, there's a show that's kind of famous in Beatles lore, which is the Litherland Town Hall. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. It took place on the twenty seventh of December, nineteen sixty, right? And that was when they returned from, I think, their second trip or maybe their first trip to Hamburg. Um, and this, the 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 legend is that they had really not been anything in Liverpool. You know, nobody really sort of paid any attention. They could they couldn't keep a drummer. They were a bit of a riot, but they came back having played, you know, seven nights a week sometimes, you know, three-hour sets followed by another four-hour set or whatever and came back and, and it was like somebody returning from yeah. the wilderness and they blew everybody away. And I really would love to to to, to be able to see that. You, you hear a wee bit of it on the Live at the Star Club 62. Yeah. Which I guess a lot of us Beatles fans, and I'm a Beatles fan, Yeah, me too. a lot of us are hoping that Peter Jackson might do the same kind of demixing yeah. technology on that to hear it a bit better because the early Beatles were really really sensational and I, I, I wish I'd I wish I'd seen that yeah me too I mean they were almost a garage band weren't they at the, at the beginning absolutely you know um, and then they did soften I guess as as all pop stars do I mean, you, you hear it on the you know on those Beatles <clears throat> 
uh, collections as well, mm. you know, because they, they they do almost just go back into that kind of mode where they're just playing, yeah. and it's tons of really cool R and B covers and all that, and some yeah. of their own songs. Um, but imagine imagine being in that room where they returned from that, and that was the first kind of vision of them. Yeah, I can't mm. imagine it absolutely. And that and that debut album is outstanding, isn't it? Um, oh, maybe it doesn't quite recorded it all in one day, didn't it? So. Uh, not quite, but more or less. Uh -huh. yeah. And and it's yeah, great George Harrison quote about that. The first album took one day and then the second one took even longer. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, what about a gig that most surprised you, good or bad? Um, I'm gonna say both of the Todd Rundgren shows that I saw. Okay. okay. So good, good or well you the good. First the first one is a uh, Margaret and Douglas and Norman and I went to see at the uh, ABC in uh, on the on the south side of Glasgow. I can never remember what it's called. And he was doing his Liars tour. I don't know if you know that album. It's kind of an no. electro pop record, which I really, really, really like that that okay. record. And the first half an hour of it, you were just thinking, "Oh my God, this is hard go. This is really, really heavy going." And the crowd were. I mean, half asleep, right? Okay. Uh, it was all stuff from the new album, which, as I say, I love. I thought mm. it was great. But it was almost like he was doing everything he could in his power. And I said to Douglas later on, you think he actually did that just for the sport of winning the crowd back? It was like, it, it was like alienating. Yeah. But go on and alienate this audience, okay? Yeah. And then, just when they think they want to walk out the door... Yeah. And it was just one victory, and it was hello, it's me, and 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 it was even songs that people didn't necessarily know, but the power of his vocal performance. I mean, it was really great, and and I still put it up. I mean, probably out of an hour and a half of a set, probably only really enjoyed the last forty minutes. Yeah, but it was it was just a piece of kind of theatre, you know. Yeah, and then a couple of albums later. Margaret and I went to see him in Edinburgh. He, he, he was touring an album called, I think it was called Arena. Hmm. And it was more like a sort of like, you know, power pop sort of band. And I just hated it, you know. I just thought this is going to be great. It was like a, you know, as I say, brilliant musicians. The album itself was pretty straightforward. <laughs> I thought he's going to just go out, going to play some really direct, great songs. And it was just guitar solos and blah, blah, blah. I love it. I mean, honestly, I've got a song called Todd is God. Right? That's <laughs> right? um, yeah. And, but I just think it's one of the things I, I just think generally speaking, if, if you've, if you've been, if you've got an audience and you've developed it over many years and, and modestly from my perspective as well, on a much smaller scale, Todd Rundgren, I, I have that. Mm -hmm. And when I go out, on the rare occasions that I do shows, just think better play the stuff that I know people really, really love, right? And and if you're playing for an hour and a half, an hour and forty minutes, or whatever, you can afford to do that. You know, so just let's let's just do half an hour worth of stuff that people definitely want to hear. And as long as they know they're getting that and they're happy, you can do what you want in the rest of the show. So yeah. I just yeah, I, I think people will disagree with that. I know, and sure. I, I that's think, okay, isn't it? You know, yeah, absolutely. But I just, yeah, yeah those were, those were, those were, those were, uh, yeah, surprising gigs in that respect. And then the only other really surprising one. So I know that you, uh, you, you, you need to get through this, right? But okay. Take your time. Gilbert O'Sullivan. Ah. 
Um, we went to see Gilbert Sullivan when he played at the uh, Royal Concert Hall uh, a while back. Now, this was before his real revival, because now people are talking about Gilbert the whole time. Yeah. I always loved him uh, as, a, as, a, as a writer. And Margaret and I went along. It was only sold, the concert hall, they only sold the, st the stalls and the very sides, right? right. So obviously he wasn't quite coming back yet. Yeah. But it was it was him on a piano, a string quartet, and three vocalists that came on and off. And the first, I'm going to say, the sort of first part of the the show was like an art pop show. It was like really not you know in a way you'd expect you know matrimony and and get down and all the rest of it. all great songs all the, all the classics. But he really really focused on his <clears throat> his art pop, yeah. you know. Uh, Houdini says and all this kind of really, yeah. really sort of interesting inspiring stuff. So that was really surprising how brilliant it was. You know, yeah. you know one of the we we couldn't stop talking about it for months. Like that was unbelievably good. You yeah. know. Uh so yeah, 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 that's another one that I'd like to go back. Yeah, cracking. I know Bobby Bluebell's a big Gilbert Sullivan fan. He's forever I know he is. Shouting about his stuff on Twitter and what have you, and quite right to it. A PS to the Todd Rungren thing when I was a bit younger. I thought Todd Rundgren was in Meatloaf's backing band. Well, there's a of, Because yeah. of Battle of Hell. Because um, I'd be about 12 maybe when that came out. So loved the record, still do to a point. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, he was all over it, wasn't he? And, and I just thought it was a producer who produced the album, played the guitar. And it was years later when, because um, he also, he felt out of favour about really Todd Rundgren, didn't he? He became a bit uncool and, and stuff. And then he came back yeah. again. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and he was doing all that sort of TR interactive artists, yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. really boring stuff that people are not interested in. Yeah. Just make great records. Exactly. Yeah. About, exactly. You know what I mean? Or produce meatloaf. <laughs> right. Um, okay, you talked about uh, Margaret there. What about the first gig that you went to with a partner? First gig I went to with a partner was Joni Mitchell. Ah. In the okay. Edinburgh Playhouse, I'm going to say 1983. Okay. And she was on uh, her Wild Things Run Fast tour. Yep. It's not a brilliant album, that. The songs are brilliant. It, it's it's And she saved some of those songs later on. She did, did quite a lot of them on the album Travelogue. With her. You done them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Re yeah, absolutely. And and, and you kind of realise how great they were. But the show was great. I mean, you know, and, and I mean, it was Joni. Um, I was on a student grant at the time, and I spent, after that show, I spent all of my student grant, I mean all of it, on all of us. Wow. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was lucky. I, I, my mum my, my and dad were kind of like, mm, okay, fine. <laughs> and, and, did, and did your student grant pay for your partner's ticket as well to go to the gig? Probably. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. And, and, but the thing is, and here's the thing, uh, and, and I, I tell the story, and I don't tell to, to, to uh, be... Uh, unkind to that person who shall remain nameless, but <laughs> he fell asleep during the show. <laughs> I was like, very good. I was like, 15 quid. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great show. And at the end of the show, she came down uh, to the front apron of the, the stage yep. and she sang Woodstock. Uh, it's not, not my favourite Joni Mitchell song, but but in that in that moment, yeah, someone coming down off mic in the playhouse yeah. in Edinburgh and sang Woodstock. It was something else, you know. 
Plus, it's an iconic song, isn't it? So just the, the kind of memories oh, and stuff, I guess, it brings oh, back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Okay, what about a, a sort of great stroke famous gig that you had a ticket to but never got to? You mentioned Laura Nero earlier on there. Well, I've no, I've actually no answer to this. Okay, I have, cool. I have searched my mind. You'll be delighted to hear. That's good. Get a few minutes back. That's okay. But, I can... Yeah. I, can, I, can, I honestly cannot remember that ever happening. Any any gig that you missed the last bus or train home? Well, not not strictly, but but I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you this one, and this is true. Okay. Uh, one of my favourite artists of the past, uh, you know, ten years or whatever, are Milk Carton Kids. Okay, you know Milk Carton. Kids? I do. Yeah. Um, and actually, I saw them at two o'clock in the morning in a hotel room in Toronto. Right. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm going to ask, aren't I? I, I yeah. So, what's, it the, was, what's the context for that? It was International Folk Alliance, and it was in the it was in the Chelsea Delta Chelsea and in, uh, in right in downtown in Toronto. Okay. Um, I was there uh, on behalf of a uh, UWS University of West Scotland, um, and uh, there was some talk at the time of us getting involved in International Folk Alliance, which ne never quite quite happened. But anyway. So what happens in that thing is that the uh, independent labels and artists for the for the duration of that event take uh, rooms that the Delta in, in, in uh, Toronto I think used to give them the top five floors. I mean, of course, it is like you know twenty five hotels yeah. give them the top five floors, and each room is a venue, right? Right. So you you can if you're so inclined, and people do spend all night going round. Uh, watching shows and, and buying merch and all the rest of it. Um, and I saw the first night I was there, I stumbled on two or three things, one of which was, as I say, about two o'clock in the morning, milk carton kids in what can only be described as a as a as a single room in <laughs> right? and okay. I mean there were probably four or five people there and I thought, oh my God, wow. this is extraordinary. Yeah, and I, I sussed that they were funny. They were they played the following night in one of the corner suites, and it was I'm, I'm trying to remember what the what the label was, maybe D's Lonely or, or or whatever they're called. Yeah, and they had a label sort of showcase in a, one of the bigger rooms, and they had some free beer and all the rest of it. And I went and saw them again, and then later on, I saw them when they came to Glasgow. But 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 that's not quite an answer to you, to your question. But two o'clock in the morning in yeah. a hotel room. That holds yeah. five people in Toronto. I, I'm, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll take that. that. I'll take that. Yeah. I mean, they played that corner room. That was like a stadium tour. Then was it when they moved to the the big corner room and stuff? Yeah, right? yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like that. <laughs> the headline show. Yeah, you were there at the beginning, weren't you? And there yeah. Were, yeah, and there were like twenty five <laughs> people in it. Ran like this. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, what about the best support act that you've ever seen? So I, I scratched my head about this one. I'll go back to the Paul McCartney uh, mm -hmm. show in nineteen seventy nine. He was supported by a guy called Earl Oaken. Have you ever heard of Earl Oaken? No. So so Earl Oaken was a a, a songwriter uh, who wrote. I think he was on the Brian Epstein uh, sort of roster okay. in, the, in the mid to late sixties, and he wrote a song for Cilla Black, and he wrote a couple other things like that. He's a really odd uh, performer. Mm -hmm. Um, he wears spats, <laughs> right? Okay. And a wee bowler hat, and he plays yeah. nylon strung guitar, and he does mouth trumpet. 
Okay. You really, you build, you build this up here, David. Oh, <laughs> it gets better. And most, and he, and he tells these wee jokes about how he, he knows he doesn't look like a rock star, but he is actually sort of, you know, pulsating yeah. rock star and all the rest of it. Yeah. He did that in front of how many people did the Apollo hold? Uh, three, three and a half thousand. Three and a half thousand yeah. regions who were waiting for Paul McCartney. <laughs> and, I mean, it was just it, what an act of bravery. I mean, <laughs> uh -huh. And people, you know, you, people in Glasgow are shouting it. Yeah, mm. shit. <laughs> it's like, but here's the thing. Yeah. He was, to me, I was only 15 at the time, yeah. but I thought, this guy is amazing. And he is one of the greatest singers I've ever heard. He's a beautiful, beautiful singer. Slightly yeah. reminds me a wee bit of Norman Blake or even Frank Creeder. Okay. And funny, Frank and I have just done a version of one of Earl's songs. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but but um, there, there is that. Yeah, so that was... It. I suppose you know the thing was, Brian, it, it was the sense that you think you see somebody and they just... They, they just do something really, really brave. Now, yeah. I've criticised Todd Rundgren already for not giving the crowd what they want, but this is a different thing. It's a support artist going to open for one of the Beatles, right, yeah. and doing mouth trumpet and <laughs> sort of like niche jokes about how he looks like a pop star. And, doing, yeah. and yeah. it was just beautiful. And then the yeah. only other one that I would say, and this is about a group that, that opened for the Pearl Fishers when they were just that. It's a group called Swiss Family Orbison who went and made a couple yeah. of really good records. Yeah, so yeah. so yeah. Clark and uh, Keith Matheson, who who later came and, and, and joined the Pearl Fishers, <laughs> uh, and Gregor Phillip. Um, and they they did, I think, maybe three or four shows when we were on tour and came out and did it. And, I mean, it's probably the only time we went out and watched them every night because they were just so mm. great. Vocals and it was just, I think, Two guitars, two guitars, and three vocals, and brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I love that. Um, that Paul McCartney answer. That's fantastic. Errol Wilkin. I'm going to go and check him out. Love yeah. That. He's, there's, there's, he's a really interesting character, Brian. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, best music festival. Are you a music festival kind of guy? Not really. No. Uh, but I, I, I have got an answer. Go on then. So, so, um, I think it was the not the last tea in the park, um. But one of them, where Douglas and I went up and watched uh, Rufus Wainwright and then Brian Wilson in the same bill, oh, which well. all, all the way up, watched them and then went home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was good. That was like, a, and it was in a tent and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and then maybe some of the t maybe some of the times that I've done sort of festivals myself, I always remember the first, the sort of forerunner of Tea in the Park in Scotland was the Fla. And and that yeah. happened, I think, yeah, one yeah, year yeah. only yeah. in Glasgow, yeah, in Glasgow, yeah, Glasgow Green. And we were on the same bill as Van Morrison and the Chieftains uh, and Rory Gallagher as well. And they were interesting for different reasons. Yeah. Rory, Rory was a poor, poor, poor soul and, and he, he was not in good shape. And yeah. um, I didn't have a chance to really see him. I believe he's, he, he was an interesting great artist, but, but that's not what, what I saw. On the other hand, Van Morrison, who was a grumpy bastard, <laughs> but, but, he, but he was... Uh -huh. He was great, and the chieftains were great, and that was yeah. a great and yeah. yeah. So you see, but it's just it's not my thing. No, it's, no, no, I get that. And we've yeah. had a lot of that, um, David. Yeah, you're right. It isn't lots of people's things. We actually 
bit the bullet and went to transmit last summer for the first right, time okay. because Pulp were headlining. Oh yeah, I bet and that was... We'd made a vow, we, we were at the last gig they played in Sheffield in 2011, I think it was, and we said if they ever played again, we would go. Um, so you got to kind of blot out the other stuff, really. And we were, we're very lucky because Paul Heaton played in the same same day. So we managed Excellent. to get Heaton and Pulp, which was, um, which was classic. So. And that's it, and I suppose that, yeah. And if, <clears> you know, if the, the weather is tolerable and if there's not people, you know, yeah. Pissing against you, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> There's a bit of that, to be fair. <laughs> oh, mm. I know they're, they're an acquired taste for sure. Why? Um, gig that you've travelled the furthest to get to? Not, not done that much of it. Toronto, and Toronto must be quite far. Toronto was probably, you know what? That, <laughs> I suppose I wasn't travelling for that gig. The, yeah. the one that came to mind was when Bruce Springsteen played in Sheffield on his Tunnel of Love tour. Yeah. Um, and I travelled down for that and I didn't like it. Um, okay. and I love him, mm, you uh, too. but we, we drove all the way down and all the way back up on the same thing. And it's probably the same thing, Brian. We're talking about festivals, it was in a football stadium, yeah. And you can't really hear anything, you can't really see anything. And, and I remember it was shows in two halves, and at the end of the first half, the, the, the band were picked up in a minibus. <laughs> you see the minibus go away. They bus coming back, you just thought, oh, this is this yeah. is a rock and roll dream. And it was just a wee bit. I mean, I think that Tunnel of Love is his best record. Yeah, it's a great record. I, I really love that record. Fantastic but, songs. Oh, I, 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 yeah. It wasn't worth the trip, I have to say. Funny, I, I didn't get to that one, funnily enough. And um, a few people have said that it was a bit of a kind of set piece as well. It wasn't as um, loose as it would normally play. You know, you talk about set lists and he literally called it. He, he did aud audibles all day, right? Um, but that one was a bit more of a sort of performance, I think. Um, and he didn't then play for quite a long time with E Street, like a dozen years or something after that. So, yeah. um, I'm still going to see him these days. So, oh, I'd love to see him at his best. I really would. And I mean, as yes, I love the record, it's just yeah. you know, it, it was a wee bit of so I, I suppose I remember it because it was such a long trip. Yeah, it's not easy to get to in a car, yeah. you know. Anyway, we uh, we saw him in Rome last summer. Oh, the family at Circle Maximo, so it was, uh, oh it was wonderful. Um, but we're right down the front. Uh, you wouldn't want to be 200 yards back because I had no idea what you'd hear. But, um, but yeah, it was fantastic. Right, what we got now? Okay, talking about great artists, bucket gig that you're still hoping to go to. So I was just back to Joni Mitchell. Did you see that, the footage from the Newport Folk Festival that she yeah, did? Yeah, I did, yeah. And... You know, I have this little dream that, sh that she'll be able to, and or or Brandy Carlisle will be able yeah. to get that together and take. I think that we, I mean, I, I've watched it a number of times, and particularly her her version of both sides now that she sings, and and I it reduces me to tears every mm. time because I I love her so much. I mean, get emotional talking about it. Mm. Um, Joni Mitchell's been so important in my life, and 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 to just to see her coming back and singing so beautifully and 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 the the whole song is written on her face you know it's just yeah. i just i'd love i would love to see that emily has not seen it should go and look look out that newport folk it's, it's wonderful yeah I've, I've also listened to the record a few times <clears throat> it's fantastic and her voice has changed understandably um but it's been lived I, in now hasn't it and it's I prefer it. beautiful yeah as much as i love joni you know and people talk about blue you know being great sometimes it just gets on that slight hmm. side of shrill for me i liked it when she started doing you know hehira uh, and hmm. uh, don juan's reckless daughter and pissing the summer lawns and all that i i like that sort of you know when, when she sort of just 
it took that edge off it a wee bit. And then the travelogue record with it yeah. with the the orchestra, yeah. I think is really I love that sing that low smoky yeah sound that she got. I love it, and it's yeah, and I mean it's even more so now. Absolutely, yeah, very much so. Yeah, a lot of people hoping you're right, and she she maybe gets to Europe and does a couple of shows. Fingers mm-hmm. crossed. Mm-hmm. What about the band or artist that you saw the most? Well, I never thought I would say this. And, and <laughs> so many people who, and I bet you people who who, who love this artist would would agree. There's, I never imagined there would be a time when my answer to this question would be Brian Wilson. Wow. Because, okay. because bear in mind, this is an artist who was frightened mm. of playing live. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and actually physically incapable at times because he's eating. Yeah. Um, Plus, he been, yet, off, he been off the grid as well, didn't he, for, for a while? Uh, you know, he wasn't yeah. in a good place at all. You know? And then came back with this amazing band and, and started playing shows. And I have to say, and again, I, I only say this just to illustrate it. I, 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 was, I played a small part in bringing him to Glasgow the first time. Right. Uh, yeah. Because the, the, his, uh, his friend and uh, uh, I suppose somebody who's been in his corner for years, an author called David Leaf, um, right. who wrote The Beach Boys and the California Myth and and, and made several uh, really interesting films about music, and among them, uh, The Story of Smile. So David is a Pearl Fishers fan, and, and he and I have been friends through, through, through okay. that uh, for, for years. And when Brian started doing shows, I thought, why is there no Scottish show? And actually, there was no, no show uh, and then north of London. I thought, yeah, this could just be a London in and out. Mm-hmm. So I phoned... Mark Mackey at regular and said, would you, do you, I take it you'd be interested in a Brian Wilson show. Uh, yes. And then spoke to David Leith and, and people were put in touch and that's how that show okay. came about. That's now, that's one of the reasons it would have come about anyway. Okay, I'm not overclaiming. The, I, I say it because it was, uh, it, for me, it was like one of those moments where you thought, wow, I can die happy. Yeah. Um, and and the show was great. And then after that, he just started uh, performing all the time. And he, and he he took he brought Pet Sounds to London. He played he that uh, live. And then the Smile thing. And every other time he's played, I thought, oh, could you know? I've, I mean, I've probably seen him play about fifteen times. Okay. And and uh, you know, the last two or three times. I've probably thought, oh, you know, I won't bother going again. I've I've seen it, and it's and I love him, and he's beautiful, and all that. But but if he announced the show tomorrow, I'd go. You go, of course you would. I I I owe so much, and so many musicians <clears throat> owe so much to Brian Wilson because he 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 not only wrote the book on a lot of what we think are the ways that you arrange music, or 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 or, or even the things that you can write songs about, right? But in terms of his ability to show vulnerability as a performer, as a writer, and and in the way that he's lived his life and and and, and spoken about that, inspirational. Okay, very good answer. Um, what about a couple of tough ones to finish? Then, guys, we've got a difficult time with this one. The best gig that you've done as a performer and why? I've got a few. The, the I did a show. I'm going to say in. Um, late noughties uh-huh. in Freiburg, right? A place called the Jazz House in Freiburg. And it was organised by a group of guys, lovely friends of mine eh, from that area who play in a band called The Pleasure. And they're okay. really good. I, I, I really like the records. 
Um, and they were they were big supporters of the Pearl Fishers, and they said, "Oh, you should come to Freiburg and do a show in the Jazz House." And I suppose to, to illustrate it, it's probably the size of St. Luke's or something like that. Okay. And I mean, people, you know, obviously my records are out in Germany and all that, and there's an audience, but I thought, geez, I've never played there before. I don't know if there's going to be an audience. Anyway, it sold out. And it was the friendliest crowd I have ever encountered in my life. And I did five encores. Wow. <laughs> did, did, did you I have mean, five encores? No, <laughs> I, mean, I, I I always listen. I'll be like any any performer that tells you they don't build in an encore into the show is a liar, right? right. Okay, because it's part of the dance. Okay, yeah. Norman Blake. When Norman and I do shows, we Norman and I sometimes do this kind of duo show. We did um, that was another great show that we did a sort of tour in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, and we finished off with a lovely show in Hamburg uh, some years ago, which was another highlight. But Norman always says. Uh, right, we're going to play the last song yeah. and then we're going to go off and we're going to pretend uh, that we'll not come back on until you clap and then we'll come back on. You know, yeah, you? absolutely. Nice one, Norman. Nice one, Norman. Bing! So anyway, I, I digress. Um, but, uh, I've just never experienced anything like it. Five encores. It's like a, a sort of like mad, you know, yeah. complex practical joke or something. <laughs> But they literally would not stop shouting. And it was just me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mom. so there's no band, right? And every time we went back to the dressing room, the guys would come and they say, you've got to come back out again. Yeah. I'm uncle. So it was just That's wonderful. in the nights. And yeah, it was, I really do, I'll never forget that as long as I live. Oh. It, was just, it was just, yeah, lovely. What did you, did you just drop back into your set list or did you do some covers or what, what did you do to fill five gaps? You know, I've, I've got tons of songs. So it's <laughs> right. I was able to say, I'll play you this one. It may, be, it may be a bit ropey. Yeah. And I think I probably did repeat a couple of songs. Well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> see, that's probably where Martin McAloon got it from. Maybe. Calling, calling out all these songs. You calling see? out these things, yeah, yeah. He's probably well, at that. Yeah, had a gig, right? Well, I have yeah. to say, I mean, again, and we've done some good shows, but that has that's never... Ma that's magic, yeah. That was special. Yeah. Okay, three to finish. Uh, Favourite live music venue? Um... St. Luke's in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. I love seeing music there. Saw Scritty Politi there a few years back, just yep. after lockdown. Played the Cupid and Psyche thing. It was amazing. I think it was an amazing venue. Played there a couple of times myself. Yeah, excellent. Um, uh, I'll also name the 12 Bar in London. Have you ever been in the 12 Bar oh, in London? I'm not even sure. Okay, so, so I went, I did a solo show in the 12 Bar in London a few years back. And uh, I went in to uh, drop off my guitar. And I was going to go and take a walk around Soho and all that. Yeah. And uh, I dropped my guitar. And, and, and I said I said to the guy, I said, well, I'll just put it here in the storeroom. <laughs> and he said, this is the gig. And not only that, yeah. tiny, but it's also got a, a, a balcony as well. So when you stand on the stage, yeah. well, there, and then there's people out there. <laughs> Um, that was a great yeah. gig though, and Bert Janch actually did a, a, a residency in there. Never saw him there, but but apparently yeah. great. And then to kick, and then just to to to, to finish it off, another favourite uh, venue is the Grand Old Opry in Glasgow. Okay, played there a couple of times. Last time I played there, I played with Amy Allison. Yeah, um, I don't know if you know Amy's. I know uh, her. Yeah, yeah. So, so and Amy and I made a record together called Turn, yeah. Turn Like the World. Is anyway, we played there, right? And we were opening for Laura Cantrell. Um, and I mean, it's amazing, you know, that like the seats are, are like nailed to the floor, <laughs> and all the lights, and they're like, 
So, uh, uh, and the, the, there's a DJ that plays there. I say DJ, um, and he, you know, he's like that on the mic before. Right, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. uh, shortly, uh, you're going to be in for Laura Cantrell. Uh, <laughs> last he's come to America to play for you. Uh, <laughs> And Amy, Amy and I are standing up on the stage with, with, with Stuart Kidd and Keith Martin and Jim Gash and that. Yeah. Waiting to go and waiting to be announced, right? Amy Allison. And the guy says, hey, but before that, uh, let's have a big warm uh, grand old Opry welcome for um uh, the the lassie that's opening for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I, remember, I remember I remember Amy going. <laughs> From New York yeah. to that, so there yeah, you go. Moment in, moment in spotlight. Okay, uh, excellent. Best ever gig. I'm going to say Burt Bacharach at the Playhouse in Edinburgh. Okay. When was that? Twelve. I wish I, could, I wish I could give you the the date, but uh, he played there a couple of times. I'm going to say early part of the 2010s. Okay. okay. I've seen him three times. Once was in the 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 Piazza Napoleone in Luca in Italy, which was amazing. Mm. And then the last time I saw him was at the a bandstand, the bandstand. Yeah. which a lot of people enjoyed. I always enjoyed Bert and his music, but I was sitting next to a lot of people that were obviously on the guest list and talked all the way through it. Right. Oh, yeah. Which I just it was horrible. Yeah. Uh, but the gig in the Playhouse, he had. Full string section, and it was just I, I uh, uh, yeah, uh, it, from start to finish, it was everything that I wanted it to be. You know that way when you go to see a show and you just think yeah. you played all the songs that I loved, the arrangements were perfect. It was a proper string section, okay. which his music needs. Yeah. And I, I think you know there were times when he went on on tour and just oh you can't tour a a, a fourteen piece string section or whatever. No. No. Um and uh, you know it was maybe strings on a, a keyboard or whatever and uh, you know, when you hear the real thing it was it was something else and and uh, Douglas was there as well Douglas and Chloe mm -hmm. were there Margaret and I were there mm -hmm. and we were all just like oh my god yeah that was the Burt Bacharach show to end them all really he's a master isn't he really or was yeah well he was yeah and 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 remained so up to yeah his, well watch on book right. Mm -hmm. well, indeed. Did, did you like his stuff with Elvis Costello? I think it's one of his best albums, and I, and I think that the 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 Elvis, or both Elvis and he, I think it's a massive peak in both of their careers. Right. right? Okay. I tell you, the other Elvis Costello collaboration that I would say is a peak for both artists: the McCartney McManus collaboration. Okay. Yep. The the uh, there's not just the songs that appeared on McCartney's Flowers in the Dirt. And various Elvis Costello albums, so like Candy and all of that. Mm -hmm. They wrote tons of songs. I mean, like 16, 17 songs. And they're all collected on this McCartney Flowers in the Dirt special edition. I, somebody should put them out as a standalone. Stand -on. Yeah. It's it's really great. Anyway, we digress, but but you, you yeah. Okay. I did that, ask. That, 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 yeah, the, the Costello Bacharach records. Wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Okay, and to finish, one live album we should all own a copy of. So, so I'll I'll bring this back full circle, all right, uh, to the to the question you asked earlier on about the 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 gig you wish you had seen. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to say that the album everybody should own is Laura Nairo live at the Looms Desire. Mm -hmm. 
Seems since she passed away, as is the way of these things, there have been so many different kind of, you know, live in Japan, live at bloody, you know, round the corner at your auntie. <laughs> Grand um, <laughs> right. Um, but Live at Loom Desire is, is, I think, really special. It's it's two shows that are represented on this album from her. She, she did a couple of uh, Christmas shows at the, I think, the bottom line in, in New York with just her and a piano and I think six backing singers, mm-hmm. a, a, a group of backing singers. And I think L- Laura can be a wee bit of a hard sell for some people in terms of the records she made because the complexity and also some of her vocal, yes. slight vocal histrionics and, and some of the earlier uh, uh, records, I think some people find off-putting. But when you hear it just with that piano vocal and backing vocal setting, um, it's really something else. And and, and she, you know, she does... Nobody did cover versions like Lauren Iro. I mean, her, her cover version album, "Going to Take a Miracle," is one of the masterpieces of of contemporary music, in my view. And on that record, she does things like uh, "Ooh, Baby, Baby." You know that, right. is that a, yeah. a Smokey Robinson song. Yeah. Um, and she also does dedicated to the uh, to the one I love, the John okay. Phillips song. Yeah. Um, and it, and it is just one of those. It's a space that you just find yourself in, and I think you find yourself want to stay in. It's full of absolute just classic songwriting, but also uh, connection with soul, R&B, girl groups. Uh, It's just something else. Brilliant. Fantastic. Maybe we know that one. Great way to finish. Uh, I really enjoyed that, David. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.